Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, defunding militarized police departments. What about defunding the military? Our guest is Sonali Kolhatkar, who is the host and executive producer of Rising Up with Sonali, a daily primetime television and radio program syndicated on Free Speech TV and Pacifica radio stations and affiliates. She is also a weekly columnist with Independent Media Institute and lead author of Bleeding Afghanistan, Washington, Warlords, and the Propaganda of Silence. Sonali, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for coming on here. Thanks for your show and what you've been doing. And and you recently wrote an article called, If We're Going to Defund Militarized Police Departments, Why Not Add the Pentagon? Can you explain the idea? Yeah, you know, for many years, um, anti-war activists have been drawing attention to the bloated military budget of the United States. We have the largest military budget of any nation in the world by a lot. And we every year keep increasing the budget. Um, There was, you know, just a tiny bit of reluctance around that during the Obama administration when there was a the people might recall the sequestration bill that put on hold some increases to the military budget, but we never talk about decreasing the military budget. Uh, and more and more money gets poured into the U.S. military, which of course fuels our countless wars abroad. And I got to thinking, as we have seen this very important national mass uprising against racist police brutality flower around the country over the past, um, you know, just under a month now, and these calls for defunding the police, which have, of course, been around for a long time, but we're getting mainstream media attention. I started to see the Washington Post, the New York Times, you know, CNN, etc., tackle this as a serious question, giving airtime to activists to explain exactly what they mean by defunding the police. And the same logic applies when it comes to the military, uh, because of all our federal tax, so many of our federal tax dollars going towards the military, we have less and less funding available for the things that actually matter to human beings, like education and health care. And the same is true on the state and local level, where cities' resources, county resources get poured into city police departments and county sheriff's departments at the expense of basic necessities, like after-school programs and all of those things that benefit human beings. And it's our tax dollars, you know, whether they're federal tax dollars or state tax dollars or even the sales taxes that, um, you know, that, that uh, consumers pay when they buy goods. Those are uh, That's our money. And so much of it is diverted into either the domestic armies that are in place to keep us, you know, uh, under control, which are police departments, or the foreign army, our, our military, our U.S. military, which is used to keep people on the you know other side of the world subdued. And during these mass protests, we saw those two forces collide when Trump basically called in the military into Washington D.C. and made a call for and you know people like Senator Tom Cotton made a call for deploying troops here at home. And so, if we're going to talk about defunding the police, which we absolutely should, let's broaden that call to defunding the military, both of those calls for defunding serve the same aim, which is diverting money away from force and weaponry and into the things that nurture, heal, protect, 
and help us all thrive. In fact, I heard a lot of outrage when Trump started deploying and and calling for and cotton calling for deploying military troops and unidentified militarily armed troops on the streets of Washington, D.C., and people were sort of demanding that this not happen in the United States, that this be done far away, that these weapons should not be used in the United States, that should be used on distant foreigners, and these wars should be kept outside of the United States and so forth. To, to what extent is have you seen that sort of reaction as compared to people beginning to make the connections and saying if we don't if we don't want this sort of treatment in the United States, do we maybe not want it anywhere else either? I think this is a problem of uh, that we face everywhere, and this is an issue of, of empathy. When people, I don't know if this is a uniquely American trait, uh, it isn't really, but when people aren't directly impacted by issues, we think that it doesn't matter, or it's, it's not important, it isn't happening to us. So in the same way in which so many Americans are sadly cut off from the destruction, the death, the mass killings, that and, and the political instability that our bombs and our soldiers foment abroad here in the United States before the killing of George Floyd being captured on video, many white Americans were unaware of how police brutality was impacting African Americans and people of color in general. And when they saw with their own eyes, they started to believe, I mean, of course, independent media, journalists like you and I, we didn't need videos to believe black people, right? We've been uh, addressing these issues for many, many years. But the country as a whole started to understand that what black Americans were saying about their reality was real. And in that same way, we need to make real the impact of our drones and our bombs on Iraqis, on Afghans, on Somalis, on those people in other countries that bear the brunt of our militarized response because they too are human beings. And this is a big problem when we feel that these issues don't impact us directly. We don't think about them. We justify them. We justify the destruction. We justify the pouring of our tax dollars into them. And that needs to absolutely change. Just because something doesn't affect us personally doesn't mean it's not a problem. Um, and, and of course, a lot of this has to do with media coverage. Our corporate media ignored police brutality for too long. Or if they reported it, it wasn't done in a, in, in a way that highlighted the systemic nature of racism in our policing. They have not covered uh, well enough the destruction of our tax dollars, uh, the destruction of, our, um, of, of other countries through our tax-funded bombs. That's the job of journalism, to create, a, you know, to, to, to showcase the reality of destruction especially when we are responsible for it and unaware of the responsibility that we bear. So I, you're right. I think that uh, far too many people said the, the, the military is, is subjugate foreign people, not Americans. But why should it subjugate anybody? Exactly. <laughs> Very good question. We're speaking with Sonali Kolhatkar, whose program is rising up with Sonali. It's, it seems to me, Sonali, that it really there, there really is a corporate media problem with devotion to war because we, we have seen this amazing, uh, incomplete, insufficient, but transformation of how people talk in the corporate media about murder by police and racist brutality by police that in moments when we've seen huge amounts of anti-war activism filling the streets and topping the, the exit surveys at the, at the election polls and so forth, you've never seen the, the corporate media in the 
United States start calling intervention, humanitarian interventions murder, the way you can now call officer-involved deaths murder. Uh, and, and, and when there are big natural disasters and famines, you see all kinds of interest and massive fundraising campaigns in the United States for things that don't impact people directly, but aren't war. It, it seems there's an exception more for war than, than simply for people who are, 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 are distant and different. Am I off track? I, I agree. And I think, you know, one of the things that I started my article out with that you cited was that Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California introduced recently a resolution to cut a $350 billion of military funding. This is something that is, you know, Common Dreams reported it. Cruiseout.org.com reported it. But CNN did not, I, I assume, address it. I didn't see it in any of the print media. And so you have this corporate media blackout of those, even when there are members of Congress willing to tackle the bloated military budget, it doesn't get enough coverage, uh, which is why I wrote the article, because, you know, if we're going to talk very seriously about defunding the police, let's extend that to defunding the military as well. Um, and unfortunately, Barbara Lee is somewhat of an exception. There's only a handful of Democrats in Congress who seriously talk about cutting military funding. Far too often, uh, the Democratic Party as a whole joins in with Republicans, sometimes tries to outdo Republicans and their hawkishness on the U.S. military. When Trump, in uh, 2017, asked for an increase in uh, military funding, Congress, Democrats and Republicans together, gave him more than he asked for. I mean, really, they were trying to prove that they wanted the U.S. military to be funded to an even greater extent than Trump, who has boasted for years about how our military is so strong, but we don't use it enough, basically has cut, cut, cut in every other arena and poured that money and wanted to pour that money into the military. So the two parties, the two major parties, are just as responsible. It, this can't just be put at the feet of Trump. They're just as responsible for continuing to pour money into a, an institution that doesn't need it. At the same time, when we have Americans who are hit with giant health care bills um, because they don't have health insurance, and Trump is talking about cutting food stamps. Um, there's such a huge need for our tax dollars to go to us and the things that actually matter. And over and over and over again, we see the two parties, we see the corporate media complicity in pouring money into the military because that's always important. There's always money available for that. But anytime we talk about funding healthcare, how are we going to pay for it? Anytime we talk about things like the Green New Deal, how are we going to pay for it? We know exactly how to pay for it. The money is going to the military, it's going into the police, and we have to start talking about ending that now. And I, I really think that the movements that are working to end police brutality and the movements that are working to end U.S. militarism have to come together, have to start talking the same language. It benefits all of us when we have a, a clear critique of the domestic army as it is linked to our foreign army, both in terms of destruction to people and the amount of resources they suck up.
I couldn't agree more. Very well said. And of course, the Democrats in Congress now trying to ban the removal of any troops from Germany, as if 75 years is just too fast for such a thing. And I, I think some credit to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Pramila Jayapal, who, who have signed on immediately with Barbara Lee, and I don't know who else, uh, and to Senator Sanders, who has said he'll put an amendment into the National Defense Authorization Act to move $74 billion from militarism to human needs. And this is this is, seems to be how they're all talking now, not just cut the money from the military, but move the money from the military to human needs and useful things because it will do even more good that way than the harm that it's been doing in the military. But the way that they talk about it, I mean, I heard Matt Duss, a senior staffer for Senator Sanders on The Intercept this past week, talking about how you could still have a good enough military that would keep you safe enough if you took $74 billion out of it as if it's right now we're sort of excessively safe, wastefully safe. Whereas my position is that this spending actually endangers the United States and the world. And you have to cut it, not just because you need the money for better things, but because it's, it's counterproductive. What do you think? I, I agree. I mean, we absolutely have to start talking in terms of how at some point the military just has too much money. It's like, you know, Jeff Bezos. After the first, you know, $10 billion dollars, did he really need those extra, you know, 100 billion? Um, when you have so much money poured into your coffers to the point where you have to figure out ways in which to spend it, which is what is happening with our military. As we get to the end of every fiscal year, the military scrambles to spend the money they've been given because they have so much of it that they actually don't have enough things to spend it on. And when we get to that point, we have to absolutely start drawing the links between how the rest of us are, how so many other things have been fallen, have fallen by the wayside. I mean, if we just look at this pandemic that we're in right now, you know, the U.S. was prepared for a military invasion 10 times over. We were utterly unprepared for a, a microscopic virus, um, even though we should have been well prepared. Um, those, even those aspects of our military that involve being prepared for diseases were defunded by Trump because it wasn't lucrative enough, um, were dismantled because he may not have even understood that a pandemic is a real uh, possibility. And so we found ourselves so utterly unprepared. But the military was ready, ready to go to war, <laughs> ready to go to multiple wars if we needed to. And everything else was, uh, you know, every other aspect of our society was unprepared. And if this pandemic can show us how important it is for us to divert money away from the military and into human needs in the same way that the George Floyd protests have shown us the importance of diverting money away from police and into things that really matter. Um, then, And if we can actually have that conversation and move forward, 2020 can be a real turning point. We need the corporate media examining these issues though, and sharing them with the rest of the country. They need to to, to make those links. I mean, there are some people talking about how uh, we were caught unprepared and that we have many aspects of our government utterly underfunded uh, and maybe the military needs to either pour its resources into that or we need to take resources away from the military. But those, those kinds of arguments are buried in the middle of the articles. They don't headline them. Um, and it's so important for us to start growing those links. It seems the parallel from the, the wisdom that's been gained in terms of, of dealing with police departments when applied to the military is 
maybe don't ask the military to do things it's not trained or prepared for, but take the money and put it somewhere else. Don't ask armed police officers to become mental health experts and drug treatment experts and traffic direction experts, but but take the money away from the police department and give it to people who do those things. And, and maybe don't ask the military to handle natural disasters and anything other than wars, but take the money away from the military and give it to people trained and prepared for those projects, right? Absolutely. I mean, I remember years ago reading um, this, what you're saying is just reminding me. In Afghanistan, when the U.S. deployed its troops there in 2001, um, the years following after the Taliban fell, you heard story after story of U.S. troops being put to work to build schools and dig wells. That is not their job. They aren't trained to do it. They shouldn't have done those things. Sometimes they did them poorly. Sometimes they used the wrong resources, put them in the wrong places, um, were, you know, <laughs> took, took jobs away from Afghans. And, and I kept thinking to myself, why? Why are we having our military do these sorts of things? It's the same logic. It's the same scenario when uh, you call 911 because somebody in your neighborhood is having a mental health breakdown and they send armed troops instead of armed police, rather instead of um, an unarmed mental health expert who can help de-escalate the situation. These are people who are trained to use weapons. They're not trained to de-escalate and do civilian work. Um, and, and we have to stop relying on them. Um, we just keep pouring more and more and more and more money into them. And, and it's really disconcerting to hear you know, people like Joe Biden and, of course, Trump and so many members of Congress talk about well, uh, more training for police when we are when we demand defunding of police. More training means more money, and we've literally been doing exactly that. Because when uh, Mike Brown was killed in Ferguson, Missouri, there was there were all these conversations around police need to be better trained, implicit bias training, body cameras, um, which meant actually pouring more money into city police departments. And ten years of those trainings have yielded nothing. The Washington Post. Um, has studied the number of people. They started keeping track of how many people the police kill in the country every year since Mike Brown was killed six years ago. And it's on average between 900 to 1,100, about roughly 1,000 people a year. That number has not gone down, no matter how much money we've poured into the police. And the same is true and has been true and will be true for the U.S. military. You can't give them more training to you know, pour more money into giving them training to not kill people because their whole existence is basing, based on killing people. Keeping the peace is just euphemism for fighting wars. And so taking the money away is the most brute force method of addressing these issues. Um, you know, somehow members of Congress don't have a problem with taking money away when it comes to uh, people on welfare, people on food stamps, uh, people on Medicaid. You know, any of those services that actually help people, they have no problem slashing those. And they have no problem talking about, um, you know, problem, uh, programs such as Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, or the U.S. Postal Service um, going bankrupt. Suddenly it's all about hard numbers and dollars and cents and budgets. Um, but when it comes to the police and military, 
they will just never apply that same logic to them or for that matter tax cuts for the rich <laughs> it seems like this number of a thousand dead is is often a number that academics will use to identify uh, where the wars are in the world anywhere any 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 conflict that's killing a thousand or more people a, a year will count as a war uh, it, mm. by that definition there is a war uh, on the on the US public by by US police forces and they're not just getting ideas and cultural problems from the the war making and the military they're getting they're getting weapons and and training and thousands of veterans from the US wars and the US military right yeah absolutely i mean these are the kinds of things that you know we just need we need to be talking more and more about this and this is why this conversation is so important david and this is why i wrote the article these are the kinds of conversations that we need to be having to make it clear that people's needs matter the 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 needs of ordinary people the safety of ordinary people whether it's military veterans or african americans living you know in their own communities um we have to talk about the money that we spend from our tax dollars meeting human needs and that has to be the standard by which everything is measured how will this meet the the most needs how will this you know here's here's a huge need. there's millions of americans who don't have health insurance so forget about how much it'll cost us what will we need what do we need to do in order to make it happen and let's spend what we need to spend in order to make it happen the same logic that they apply to funding military and police because when money is never an issue that needs to be reversed and applied to the conversations around funding healthcare education veterans care and and more it also seems that among the all the damage that the military spending does in addition to taking money away from all the good things it, it, historians have suggested that it increases racism that during and after big wars you have more racist violence and it certainly seems to me a problem that US culture is talking a lot now about handling racism but never talking about what the populations look like in the countries where the wars are fought. Absolutely <laughs> just as yeah, you're right. Just as police here target people of color, our troops outside the country target people of color. I mean, literally the an- analogy couldn't be clearer. When when have we, you know, maybe Yugoslavia was the last time the US dropped war uh dropped bombs during the Clinton-led war in Yugoslavia. That might have been the last time the US dropped bombs on 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 a population resembling you know Caucasians or white folks uh it's almost always people of color yeah. and there there is a global racist trend um where our military and for that matter where most european nations military nato etc are focused on they're focused on as vijay prashad has put it the darker nation and what do you think has brought about this moment of uh incredible activism uh more is needed but it 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 really seems remarkable to me and i i know there's 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 desperation uh and people are 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 struggling but is there also perhaps some frustration in having been told all these years just put everything into elections and then seeing the democratic party strip a nomination from its better uh candidate uh four years ago and then again this year yeah, of course. There's so much frustration around that. This year has been wow, such a roller coaster. I mean, I just remember that moment before Super Tuesday when it felt like the country was finally headed in the right direction and that we might see the end of this horrible chapter 
that we're living through when Bernie Sanders looked like he was set to sweep the primaries. And then one after the other, the Democratic um, establishment standard bearers threw their lot in behind Joe Biden, starting with Representative Jim Clyburn. And then you had uh, several of the leading candidates do the same as well. And everything changed on a dime. Uh, Super Tuesday was in so many ways reminiscent of um, election day in 2016, when we thought one thing was happening and a wholly different thing happened. And based on that, we had a very, very different um, chapter in this country's history. And so, yeah, that, that so and, and it all happened right before the pandemic was declared. What a, what a, what a roller coaster ride we've had this year. But yeah, absolutely. You see Democrats over and over again shooting themselves in the foot, um, taking the good things that have come out of um, through their party, been made available through their party and squashing them. You mentioned Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez earlier. Um, they were caught off guard when she won her election. And it's so interesting to see now her having been in Congress for just under two years. The New York Times recently, in their endorsements of uh, around the primary elections in New York, endorsed Ocasio-Cortez. And, the, and, and they did so, you could tell, reluctantly as they laid out the reasons for their endorsement. It's centered around how she has very successfully raised the profile of issues that are so critically important, the same issues that they are now you know, acknowledging in, the, in their papers around racist police violence, lack of healthcare and education, um, you know, the corporate greed and capitalism, um, destroying our economy and, and, and defunding those things that matter to us. So they very reluctantly gave her this endorsement. And to me, I saw that as the Democrat, you know, the Democratic Party as a whole have yet to sort of embrace her for that, re- you know, for the same reasons that the New York Times laid out, because they are even the centrist wing of the Democratic Party is even slower to adopt change and progress than the, than the venerable New York Times. Um, but they really ought to see, if they could see with clearer eyes the importance of, of having more and more representation in Congress that's like Ocasio-Cortez, that's like Sanders, the party would see a much bigger resurgence and they would have better success at winning elections, which sometimes it's hard to imagine that they actually want to do that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, I continue to endorse her despite the New York Times agreeing with me, and uh, and they and they even uh, endorsed Jamal Bowman uh, against Elliot Engel, who's who's leading yeah. leading the charge to keep every troop in Germany. Uh, so, so sometimes, I mean, the New York Times, without which we wouldn't have any of these wars, is sometimes right. Um, but uh, we have just a couple minutes left. So, Nali, uh, last last election, uh, I, I wrote about four women who were running for Congress who were talking very differently about the military. Uh, and they all won, and they started calling themselves a squad, and they've all been high, uh, far above average in Congress. N- this time around, I see a dozen or more who, who are, you know, most of the Democratic candidates don't mention the existence of foreign policy at all in one way or another. But I see a dozen or more, including people like Bowman, who are talking this way about moving money out of the military and ending the wars. Are, are you seeing that sort of trend, too? Yes, absolutely. It's the younger folks, uh, especially, but of course, uh, those who think like younger folks, like Sen- Senator Sanders as well, although they care about younger folks, um, it's, it's the people with a, with a view toward the future that see most clearly how we have devastated our society, our economy by 
are continual giveaways to wealthy corporations and Americans and to the U.S. military. And they see the impacts of that so directly. The U.S. used to, you know, have a public school system that was the envy of the world about 30 years ago, uh, depending on where you lived, of course. But overall, you know, public schools were yeah. uh, a very solid option. Um, similarly, you know, uh, around so many other issues, of course, healthcare, we've always had, had a terrible situation with healthcare. Uh, but, uh, but, but we've gotten away without, um, a nationalized healthcare system because inequality, income inequality wasn't as high as it, as, as it is now. And now you have not only a huge income inequality, but because of the lack of a nationalized healthcare system, you see more and more, um, people literally dying. Because yes. they don't have health insurance, and and that's been true for for years now, and it gets worse and worse every year. And these young we, uh, members of Congress and and um, candidates we, see that so clearly. We we have to leave it on that sad note and work to change things. Sonali Collector's program, Rising Up with Sonali, is on Free Speech TV and Pacifica Radio. Sonali, thank you for coming on Talk Nation Radio. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help in war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.